Hello and welcome everybody. My name is Ryan. And I'm Heather. And this is Confidence Through Cabaret, the podcast. And today we are super excited because we get to welcome to the podcast an amazing friend, advocate, author, activist, producer, artist, and uh, author of the number two best-selling book, Amber Rose Washington, Hiding From Myself. Please welcome to the podcast, the amazing Amber Rose Washington. Hi, Amber, how are you? Hi, how are you? That was such a great, that was really a great introduction. Oh my God, I'm, I'm, I'm like blushing right now. <laughs> well, we are so excited to be featuring you. Honestly, thank you so much for joining us today. No, thank you for having me. This is great. So we've had a bit of a preamble in the lead up to this uh, interview because we, like, the minute this podcast started and prior to that, we just started talking and it was a thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I am really excited to be discussing this um, and to be getting into everything today with you. Um, where to start? Okay. Tell us a little bit about yourself. There's so much going on right now. There's so much that you've got coming up. Where do we want to start? Let's, let's go for it. Let's just tell everybody who Amber Rose Washington is. Um, so let's, I'll try to summarize this. So my name is Amber Rose Washington. I was assigned male at birth. I am a transgender woman. I'm, I am uh, proud to embrace who I am finally in my life after being afraid for so many years. Thus the name of my book, Hiding From Myself, right? So I... Uh, grew up in upstate New York in here in the United States, as opposed to, I mean, you can tell by the accent. I mean, I don't have that New York accent, right? You know, like the, hey, how you doing? You know, I don't do that. <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> I'm sort of, they call me Canada South, where, where I grew up, right? Yes, yes. That's why I love that. You know, I grew up, I grew up in this small town um, named Liberty, New York. And, you know, it was, it was a really small town. And I've said this on so many podcasts ever already, but, you know, it was really a small town. There were more deer than people. We used to make a joke about it all the time. And it, it there's something about that. It was a small community. Everybody knows everyone. Right. It happened to be uh, within the community several communities that the movie Dirty Dancing was based upon. Ah, yes. yeah. There's a great show on, on Netflix called The Marvelous Miss Maisel. Yes, I don't know yeah. If yeah, the, her second season is based in the Catskills where I grew up. So, oh, okay. It, I'm, just, I'm waiting to get onto that train, you know, when I'm like, right, okay. <laughs> it's, a good, it's an interesting place. A lot of people got their start there from Sid Caesar, Jerry Seinfeld, Joan Rivers, Jerry Lewis, uh, you know, really old school, except yeah. for Jerry, of course. Uh, sorry, Jerry, I didn't mean to call you old school. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I come from that area and you know, growing up, I was, I was different, right? So people always ask me, they're, they're like, I don't understand this whole thing, this transgender thing. Where's that come from? And I said, honestly, I didn't know this until I was an adult. I had no idea when I was growing up. All I knew is that for some reason, by the time I was four years old, I had a conscious memory of, I'm not a boy. Mm. I'm a girl. And it wasn't some mental delusion or anything like that, because we have something called the age of articulation. And the age of articulation is typically between the ages of three and seven or eight years old. And that's when we sort of subconsciously figure out 
who or what we are at some primal level. Right. So we, we have these terms in our community like cisgender, right? Cisgender versus transgender, right? Cisgender meaning on the same side of, meaning you're congruent. Yeah. You were assigned male at birth and you're fabulous with that. Or you're assigned female at birth and you're fabulous with that. Mm. I wasn't fabulous with that. Yeah. The difference is, is that 93.3% of the people on planet earth are born congruent and it never reaches their conscious mind ever. They don't have a memory of, hmm, why am I a boy and not a girl or vice versa? They never have that thought because it stays in your subconscious. Mm. But for people that are born incongruent, like myself, it becomes very conscious because there's a disconnect. There's something strange happening. Mm. I didn't feel like a girl, by the way. A lot of people confuse this. I never felt like a girl. I never felt female. I knew I was female. I knew I was a girl. There's a huge difference in the nomenclature there. And by the time I was four years old, I was brought up Catholic, right? So I have a lot of guilt. (laughs) Yes, Catholics grow up with with guilt, right? Yeah. But my mom was so beautiful. I was four years old. And I remember kneeling at the bed and and saying, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Right? So that's the Lord's prayer. Yeah. Yeah. And mom says to me, she says, okay, now I want you to say your own prayer. So I said, I don't know, you know, what, what, what prayer, you know, you're four years old. You don't know what a prayer means other than the stuff that you've memorized. Yeah. So she started helping me out. She's like, God bless my daddy and my mommy and my sister and blah, blah, blah. And she goes, now you talk to God and ask him anything in the world you want, anything at all. So I put my hands up to my head, leaned over the bed and bowed my head down. And I said, God, please fix me by the morning. And she goes, oh, honey, what's the matter? Do you feel sick? Puts her hand to my forehead, the whole deal. And this is her describing it to me because at four years old, you don't really remember every detail, but mommy sure did. And she says, I really thought you were were sick at that point. Like something was wrong. And I asked you what was wrong and you said nothing. And then I started to cry apparently. And- She goes, why are you crying? And I said, mommy, am I a boy and a girl? She goes, why would you say such a thing? No, you're just my handsome little boy. And I got to tell you, I was really upset with her for saying that. I was so angry with mom because I wanted her to say, no, of course you're a little girl. It's just things are a little different for you because we have to do A, B, and C. And and I didn't get that answer. Instead, I got, no, you're a boy. And, and, it really bothered me because my sister was growing her hair long. She had the most gorgeous canopy bed. She had something called Holly Hobby. That was like this little rag doll on the walls. And I adored Holly Hobby. And she got to take ballet at a young age. And I didn't, I had a crew cut and I had to wear plaid pants and just, just terrible fashion sense going on in the seventies. Let me tell you. (laughs) It was terrible. Um, Sorry. Um, But but I I sat through all of that wondering, I wonder what's going on. And she says to me, don't worry. A lot of people go through these phases and being a little child, you know, 
it's difficult. Sometimes we get confused and things happen and Mm. listen, it was the nineties and my mom was doing the best she could. And she was a nurse Mm. and she told me everything was going to be just fine. I'm going to be okay. So when, when you're four years old, your mom is your whole world, you know, your mom and dad, but when your mom says you're going to be all right, you take that as gold, you know, so I'm going to be all right. She tucks me in she kisses my forehead and she says, now you go to sleep. And I said to myself, Hmm, I'm going to be okay. This is awesome. You know, maybe, maybe it was just a little weird thing that happened. That's great. But then over the next bunch of days, months, years, just things got worse and worse and worse. I enjoyed hanging out with the girls more than the boys. I was always playing baseball, right? We had 20 kids on my block. Now, I came from a town with more deer than people, but we had, we had the, the lion's share of the kids on my neighborhood. So all of us, boys and girls, we all played baseball together. Right. And I remember oftentimes the girls would go into what we called the garage. It was really an old vet hospital that we had, you know, in our backyard, we bought a house that had a hospital behind it and they would go in there and play house, right? The girls would all have tea parties and do that. And I remember saying to the boys, like amazingly, every time I have to go home, mom needs me home by blah, blah, blah. And I would sneak into the garage and I'd play house with the girls. Um, And it was just so fun. And I, you know, cause the boys were always doing other things like building tree forts, right? right? So in the book, I actually have this one thing that shows just how different I really was. You know, I wasn't allowed to touch the hammers. The boys wouldn't let me have the hammer because I would screw it up, you know, and and I was just not like that as a little kid. And I'd watch them build the fort. And there's this one kid, I remember, he was sawing a piece of wood and he was talking to his friends about, you know, you got to do a 45 degree angle. And he's saying all these things. And I think at the time I was like 10 or maybe 11. Yeah, maybe 11. And he says, no, actually, I wasn't 11. I'm looking back now at my notes. I was 13 when this happened. And he says, he says, see how you cut it. And all I could do was fixate on his ass, right? So he's sawing a piece of wood and they're all like, wow, how do you get it to, to, to cut so straight? And I laugh and I say, it's so funny how his butt wiggles back and forth as he's cutting a piece of wood and everybody stops what they're doing. They turn around. And you go, what? <laughs> and the girls behind me said, are you trying to get beat up? And this one girl, she grabs my hand. She takes me away. And she goes, don't say that. Because <laughs> right, they're like right. saying fag and all these other things. And right, I was like, right. what did I do? I had no idea that I did something, you know, quote, unquote, wrong. Yeah. I was attracted to boys, you know. Um, but, you know, so I got hit with a double whammy. Right. So let's talk a little bit about transgender again. I found out whether we know this is to be concrete or not. This is our best guess so far. Right. Um, I mean, we still don't even know why some kids get leukemia. Right. But we know leukemia is a thing. Mm -hmm. Right. So in your first trimester of pregnancy, the body differentiates. So when the body differentiates, the reproductive organs differentiate with it. During the second and third trimester, your brain differentiates. Mommy secretes some hormones. And if you are XY, it's supposed to be, you know, levels of testosterone. For some reason in the second trimester of of pregnancy, my body rejected that. 
So the cortical region of my brain, which is if, if you're, if you're supposed to be male, it's thin. So your cortex is thin. They've, they've already you know, discovered this in neurology. My cortex is thick. Females, natal females have a thick cortex. So it ex- sort of explains this transgender brain. There's the male brain, there's a female brain, and then there's this transgender brain that they're starting to see unfortunately you have to die for them to figure that right. out i say all the the testing is is all the the science is coming from the deceased isn't it with it yeah yeah it's coming from the deceased and what they're finding is that for the lion's share um massive lion's share of us you know that those those regions of the brain that are responsible for giving us that sense of who we are um are, are different so Mine looks more like a natal female than a male. If you know, when he's trying to explain this to me, he said he didn't want to kill me. I was happy that he didn't want to do that, by the way. (laughs) Thank you, doctor. Um, So it's kind of an interesting, you know, scientific medical examination of, of this, because when I was growing up, it was considered a mental illness. Yes. By the time I was 21, I was diagnosed with gender identity disorder. Right. I used to travel 100 miles away from home in, in my car just to go to a therapist because I didn't want the therapist local, mm-hmm. who probably wouldn't have known anything anyway about this, mm-hmm. to really know. Mm-hmm. So I would go 100 miles away. And you know what I found out? Really close to New York City. We were about 100 miles from New York City. Right. They didn't know anything either. He, he had a book in front. I was paying him a hundred dollars an hour to teach him, honey. He should have been paying me. Right. So I was teaching therapists, you know, who I was at that point. And then I, I, I fired a bunch of them and I, I finally found one who was really good. This, this older gentleman, and he, he really had his, his act together with this, but he said, you have something called gender identity disorder. It's a mental illness, according to the DSM and blah, blah, blah. I said, a mental illness? He goes, don't worry. It, it's not one of those things where, you know, you belong in a mental institution or anything because we still had those back in the day. Yeah. He said, it's more like depression or anxiety. So it's, it's a level of how, how are you able to cope knowing that you're incongruent? It was mm-hmm. the first time I heard that word too. There was no word transgender you know, back then it just didn't exist, you know? Mm. So that was a big stigma to be diagnosed with some sort of mental illness. And then of course, we all know that the DSM and medical science caught up to us. You know, we were always leading the way we knew better than they knew. Yeah. And now we know across the world that it has nothing to do with a mental illness whatsoever. Um, It's just, it's, it's just a condition of the human it's just the diversity of the human condition, right? Yeah. Um, thus the L- LGBTQ plus, right? I mean, we just keep on adding letters, infinitum, right? right? And who cares? Exactly. Someday we won't need labels, but um, right now, you know, we have to, to advocate for who yeah. we are. Yeah. Um, did that explain a little bit about what being transgender is? Do you have questions about what I just said? <laughs> it's oh, a no. lot. I think um, more about the 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 journey that you have to go through um and now uh, looking back on it as you've kind of <clears throat> learned to take up your space and to to use your voice and and to to embrace um 
to embrace your story and to embrace everything that it means to be you how I mean that's that's a whole process sorry I made that sound like it was going to be a really small question (laughs) it's It's like let me just ask this giant question but I'll be like just a little one (laughs) I love it (laughs) but like what was the process for you to stepping into your power and to kind of and to going no I have a voice and I deserve to be heard wow Oh my God, there's so much to that. Let's summarize it. Um, I, you know, my, there's a difference between gender identity and sexual orientation. As mm-hmm. most of us know, hopefully your listeners know that mm-hmm. sexual orientation is who am I attracted to and who do I want to bed with? Mm-hmm. Whereas gender identity is who am I and who do I want to go to bed as? right great way to explain it thank you and so those those are two separate items but i was hit with a double whammy right so you know there's a lot of transgender women that you know they 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 are attracted to women anyway or or if you're a a, you know a natal you know you were born um in assigned female at birth but Mm -hmm. you're you're a transgender man Mm -hmm. you know there's the same sex attraction that still happens yeah for me you know, I grew up, you know, watching the movie Grease. I don't know if you got you. Of course, you guys saw Grease. Who didn't oh, see Grease, right? Six times in the cinema as a teenager. I oh my god, I loved it. Started a thing now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Bobby, yeah. Olivia Newton-John and John Travolta were eighteen until I was eighteen, and then I went, "Wait, what?" <laughs> I know, right? Oh my god! So I went with my parents and my sister to see this, and. I just remember, oh my God, Olivia Newton-John is so beautiful. But then when I'd see, you know, Danny, um, John Travolta, um, I was like, oh my God. You know, I, I, I would get these like little hot flashes of mm-hmm. like, oh, he's adorable. I like him. And so after the movie was over, we'd talk to our friends, my sister and I, and, you know, during during this time everybody had seen the movies so the boys would be like hey that was a cool movie and she was hot and blah 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 they would use those types of terms and i said oh olivia newton john was really beautiful and i loved those different every it was like every single scene she had a different summer dress on and those ribbons every scene she had a different like ribbon in her hair it was so adorable how she put her hair up and they look at me with like i had four heads and go what (laughs) they didn't understand the things i was picking up on yeah you know and privately to a couple of my friends only a couple of them i would say yeah but john travolta oh my god yeah so there's that whole aspect in fact my first love of my life was a boy i was 14 had a boyfriend um you know but things happen and through the course of high school and everything, I got more and more afraid from being beat up and bullied and, and um, ultimately ended up making a decision, but not the decision everybody thinks. I made the decision to assimilate and conform to society. Right. What they think I am rather than who I am. Mm-hmm. And I said, all right, damn it, I'm going to like girls. So the way I described girls, you said you liked my definition before. So here's my definition of of that. I look at girls and I want to be like them, Mm -hmm. not with them. Mm -hmm. So, but I ended up, you know, with dating lots of women, right? But moving forward, 
you know, how did I get my voice? Well, music. I got into music business at a young age. I was writing music by the time I was 14 because I had closed myself into my room. I had overcome this one tragic night where I almost, trigger warning, committed suicide. And I overcame all of that and said, you know, I was saved. My dad walked into the room at exactly the right time. So whether there's a God or universe or whatever we're, we're thinking, something intervened and put him there at that time. And I never looked back and I never did think about that sort of thing ever again. And, you know, um, one of the statistics and myths that go around with transgender people is, is they commit suicide because they're, they're not happy with themselves and they're going through a gender crisis and, and identity crisis. So they kill themselves. And that's just so untrue. The, the, the vast majority of us, contemplate that because society in general treats us subhuman we're not authentic human beings we don't even feel human at that point Mm. so that's the reason so music was my outlet I started writing music you know song after song after song and instead of playing outside I would lock myself in the room with with a couple of synthesizers and I was a drummer already and and I taught myself how to play piano and guitar and and all that stuff and and I was never a great singer or vocalist even though I had vocal training but that saved my life you know it was music it was the entertainment business and this cute little story um is when I went to New York City for the first time when I was 18, I was still in what I call boy mode, right? I went to the city and I went to the Hilton Hotel for this music convention. And you're supposed to bring like your best portfolio with you. So four, five, six different portfolios that you give to producers because darn it, I was going to get a record deal. I was going to be the next big thing, right? Right. And I'm, I'm sitting there in New York City for the very first time, by the way, all by myself go into the Hilton I'm two hours early like I'm super early and I just wanted to be the first person there because I was like damn it I'm coming from the sticks of New York and I'm I'm going to New York City I'm gonna make this happen right yeah so I walked in with my stuff they didn't even have the doors open yet for the ballroom love that and I'm standing out there like an idiot and the security guard comes and he unlocks the door and he says would you like to go in I said yeah so I set my stuff down on, on one of the first chairs. There's like a thousand chairs set up in a room, maybe even more. And I set my stuff down and I saw in the back of the room, you know, coming from upstate New York, I, it was also called the Borscht Belt, which was the Jewish capital of, of the world. It was the Jewish vacation capital of, of, of the United States. Right. So this, this, this person that came from that area, I love bagels and everything else and there's this huge spread of bagels on this table in the back of the room and i darted across the room to get one of those bagels and and i'm the first person in the room anyway so what the hell so i couldn't make up my mind did i want a cranberry bagel did i want an everything bagel it was like the biggest decision of my life here i am trying to sell my music and i can't figure out what kind of bagel to get so this older lady walks up to me and she goes it's a bitch, isn't it? I said, yeah, I can't find a bagel. She goes, oh, you know, it's so hard. And she goes, my name is Anne. And I said, hi, my name is, and I'm one of those people that I don't care. I'll dead name myself. You know, I just don't like other people to do it. Right. But I was born, 
you know, Edward Ambrose Washington, right? So the word Amber at eight years old is from my middle name, Ambrose. If you slow it down phonetically, it becomes Amber Rose instead of Ambrose, right? So that's where my name comes from. And I said, I'm Eddie. And she goes, oh, so where are you from? I said, "Uh, I'm from New York. Oh, right here in Manhattan. I said, no, upstate. She goes, oh, whereabouts? I said, the Catskills. And she goes, oh, the Catskills, Gross Singers Hotel, blah, blah. She's naming my town. (laughs) How does this lady know this little area that I grew up in? And she goes, oh, so many famous people came from there. And the movie Dirty Dancing, which had already come out, you know, that was, you know, based upon your area. So we're having this fabulous conversation about bagels and the cat skills. And I don't know who the hell she is. And 25 minutes later, as we're chowing down on our bagels, she's, she says, tell you what, honey, I, I, I love you. You're just such a fun person to talk to. Give me one of your portfolios, one of your packets. And I promise whether I like it or not, I'll give you a call back Monday with a critique. How's that? Would you like that? Wow. And all I could say is, in, in the back of my head is who the hell is this woman? And why am I giving her one of my four packets? I'm about to waste something and I'm about to meet some of the best producers in New York city. And I'm going to give my, my packet to this lady I had a bagel with. So I gave it to her. I was so embarrassed. I was like, I can't not give it to her now. So I gave it to her and a woman taps her on the back and says, Ann, you have like five minutes before your keynote. We got to get moving. And she goes, Eddie, it was a pleasure to meet you. And I said, oh, you too, Miss Rucker. She goes, no, 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 it's Anne. And I said, oh, Anne, thank you. And she goes, you take care and I will call you on Monday, okay? So she leaves and I'm like, who the hell was I just talking to? So I go sit down and the guy sitting next to me says, how in the hell did you get Anne Rucker to take your portfolio? And I said, um, she asked for mine. He goes, Oh, bullshit. I said, No, really, she did. She asked for my portfolio. And he goes, You're the luckiest person in this whole room. And I could not figure out why. I was, I was like, Wow, even he knows who this person is. At that very moment, the stage lights up. Person comes out from ASCAP and says, This person needs certainly needs no introduction, except for me, of course, right? And she, I'm going to give it to you straight. This is who she is. She is sitting on the board of governors. She is the vice president of the Grammy Awards. And she's worth, she didn't know, right? She's worked with, <laughs> I can't even say this straight no. anymore because this is so unbelievable. She's worked with Barbara Streisand, Aretha <laughs> Franklin, Quincy Jones, Michael Jackson, Sting, <laughs> you know, all of these people, Suzanne Vega. Oh. oh my God. She's recorded on over, you know, 30,000 different recordings. She is wow. the founder of the jazz association of America. Of course. The incomparable miss Ann Ruckard and everybody gives her a standing ovation, me included. And I'm like, Holy shit. Nobody, <laughs> gonna, nobody is gonna, nobody is gonna believe this happened to me. Wow. Oh, and you wow. know what? That was my introduction to the music business because she did call me on Monday and, yeah. and, you know, I was at work and my mom goes, honey, you really need to hear this because back in the day we had something called an answering machine. So your younger viewers, you know, they probably don't know what that is. We used to have to answer our phones, which were connected to a wall in our house. <laughs> 
end, there was this little device where you'd have to press a button and a little tape recorder would play back a message someone left and it said, hi, this is Ann Ruckard. I'm calling from the offices of Quincy Jones and I'm calling oh for Eddie and I listened to, to the music and I loved it and we need to have a conversation. Call me back at 212, blah, 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 blah. And I darted out of my office, didn't even tell my, my boss where I was going. And I, I went home and listened, called her back and it was, everything just rolled out from there. And, and within a few weeks, I was in New York city in an, in a recording studio, watching them master Madonna's like a prayer album. No. Yeah. So it was oh really weird. It, yeah. Like who, who would have thought that? Right. I mean, it's just so weird. And it was so weird how they were doing it because when I went in, they were remixing some stuff for dance track. Right. right. And the, and the guy is just sitting there behind the mixing board and he's got a drum machine and an octopad in front of him. And, and he's got his feet up on the, on the, uh, you know, up on the table and he's leaned back and he's smoking a cigarette and he's got drumsticks in his hand. And every so often he's going, bum, 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 da, 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 da. you know, he's just doing it, doing his thing, adding some parts to the track to, to really liven it up for, for the dance track they were making right. out of it for the club scene. And I'm watching them and I'm like, oh my God, I'm watching an album before it even comes out. This is really super cool. And so the music business really helped me. I have a million stories, but I don't want to go on about all of them. But the music business really helped me to discover who I was Mm -hmm. and gave me confidence. So you have confidence through cabaret, right? right? And this leads in so brilliantly because... At, at some point I had, I had to have confidence to be able to walk into these studios and into, yeah. you know, these people that have made it and, and quite frankly, speak with celebrities that right. I had already met at that point. Right. I had, I was already, um, you know, hobnobbing with people like John Stewart. I don't know if you know who Jeez. that was. Yeah, yeah, of course. I ate dinner with John Stewart in 1993. It was so amazing. <laughs> he had just gotten his show, the John Stewart show. Yeah, yeah. He just signed on to that. And I was doing a show in New York and me and two other people went to dinner with him that night. And I had no clue who he was. I other can't than- take much more of this. I'm still reeling from the fact that we aren't using rotary phones. <laughs> <laughs> no, just say for the younger viewers, there was no internet to look all this stuff up. Oh yeah, it was it was really a different time, wasn't it? I right. mean, when I, by the time I was fourteen, I didn't, even, I you know, I was eleven years old, and I still thought I could get pregnant. That's how weird things were for me. I actually thought that I I could have kids, so I would have conversations with my girlfriends that would say, you know, um, yeah, I'm gonna have two kids. No, you can't have kids. You're a boy, and it was just this weird cognitive dissonance in, inside of me i didn't understand you know yeah what was so, i listen i didn't understand anatomy and even at 11 years old 11 year old kids now can teach a college course in sexuality right but <laughs> me as an 11 year old i couldn't do any of that stuff but you know back here i am segueing like i have add um so you know going back you know i had to have confidence and you know, to meet all these people and not be starstruck, right? Mm-hmm. That's one right. thing I never got with starstruck, no matter who I met, whether it was Stevie Nicks or Don Henley yeah. or, you know, any one of the country music stars that I worked with. You know, I even, I even palled around with Arnold Schwarzenegger for an entire day. It was yeah. just wonderful in Long Beach, California. And so, you know, 
when you meet all these people, you have to just know that they're just people. They're yeah. just like us. They just have bigger freaking problems than we do because they have more to deal with than we do, right? So I ended up, I ended up getting a gig where I was teaching people how to get over stage fright. Right. And so I came up with this whole program. You know, back in school, what did we used to hear? Our, our grade school and high school teachers would say, picture everybody naked. They actually used to say that back in the day, picture them naked. And if you can't do that, just stare at the wall behind their heads, like look just above their heads at the wall and everything will be fine. Yeah. And I was like, that is such, am I allowed to say bullshit on your show? You go. Yeah. It really was just a a load of garbage. You know, it, it, that doesn't help people get over stage fright. No. You know, especially even even in a classroom, it makes you ignore it. It makes you passive aggressive, I guess. Mm -hmm. So mine was, let's turn this around. So I would tell people the following, and and I'll do this to you guys right now as a little experiment. This is going to be fun. So so you guys pretend you're about to be on American Idol. And that's who I was helping, by the way, people, contestants that were about to be on American Idol, right? Uh And, And they would come to me and they would stare at the floor. I'd say, all right, sing your song acapella to me right now. And they would sing it to the floor. It, like, like there was some, you know, intimate relationship happening between them and that piece of wood, you know, b- beneath their feet. It was just bizarre <laughs> right, right. to watch. <laughs> so I would stop them and I would say, okay, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to get you over this stage, right? And we're going to do it within the next day. You will be a pro at this. Have you ever gone to the, your classroom in high school and college and have the teacher focus directly on you? So they're teaching today's topic and they're looking directly in your eyes. Yeah. And it's how did that make you feel when they did that? It depends on the teacher, but often quite uncomfortable. There's the word I was looking for. Very good. You pass. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, it makes you uncomfortable. It makes it gives you it makes you feel weird. Did you ever go to a concert? or a small venue where the, the, the lead performer is like looking, singing directly to you. Yep. Has that ever happened? That also made you feel a bit, you know, sectioned out and uncomfortable, did it not? Depends on the promoter performer. Lydia Lunch, I made me feel like amazing. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, yeah. I guess we've all had that, yeah. Yeah, but, but it is quite a, both of those are, yeah. quite, they are both quite vulnerable moments. Yes. Correct. Vulnerable. That's a great word. It's a vulnerable moment. So what I would do is I would say, what you're going to do is if you're in a Kodak theater and there's, there's, you know, close to 4,500 people in there, they said, wait, 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 how do we deal with 4,500 people? I can't even deal with singing in front of four of you people right now. How am I going to sing in front of 5,000 people? I said, when the lights come on, you know, about 4,700 of them are going to disappear magically and you're gonna have to sing in front of about 300 people or less and here's how you do that you you, you're gonna pick out five or six of them on stage and if you're gonna be moving around stage which i suggest you do is pick five or six people around the audience close up to you and maybe in the fourth row and sing directly to them and the way you're gonna do it and i picked this one girl out her name was Brittany, and she won like the northeastern United States, you know, American Idol competition. And, you know, I got her an audition in Boston, you know, because of that. And she was one of those people that stared at the floor. And I said to her dad, while he was in my studio once, I said, you know, just understand what I'm about to say to your 16 year old daughter. 
and you know don't take any offense to what i'm about to say because it's gonna sound really weird and he goes sure and he was this you know really you know italian guy that that looked scary if you know like if you say the wrong thing you're in trouble (laughs) and i said Brittany, what you're going to do is you're going to look at me right now as you're singing and you're going to only look at two people in your entire life the way you're about to look at me one of them is me of course the other person you're going to look at like this is your future husband. And she goes, huh? I want you to look into my eyes as you sing, but I don't want you to just look into my eyes. I want you to look inside of me. I want you to look through my eyes as you're singing. Don't look at my forehead here. Don't look at my stomach. Don't look at my hair. Don't look at the wall behind me. Look directly into my eyes as you're singing. And then I want you to do the same thing to your dad. And she did, and she did it beautifully. It took her a few times. But what we're doing is we're turning the tide. We're turning the stage around. Instead of everyone staring at me, you know, now you're making someone else uncomfortable by staring at them. You know, so you're turning the stage around on them. And it it, it worked wonderfully. It would take a few times to to really let that sink in. And then I got hit with with, with with the following. So there's cameras and everything. I said, yeah, don't look at the cameras, you know, unless they specifically want you to, you know, try to avoid looking directly in the camera. You know, they're, they're going to be circling around you on these boom arms and all sorts of stuff's going to happen. But here's what you're going to, here's what you're going to really be afraid of. It's not the 300 people in front of you. It's the 139 million people around the world watching you. Yes. <laughs> And they would freak out. They'd be like, why did you just say that? <laughs> like, I they, was nearly there. <laughs> I, you almost had me set, but now I'm not even going to audition, right? Yeah. But, you know, it's, it's, it's funny um, because all of that stuff that I did by helping people get over stage fright ended up slamming me in the back of the head by the time I was transitioning. Because I'd been transitioning segue since I was 21, I was, I was actually mail ordering hormones from your country and other countries, you know, over the telephone and having them shipped into the States. So I was on estrogen and, and something called spironolactone, which would, has this happy, happy thing of suppressing testosterone and everything since I was 21. And so I was, I was too scared to see a doctor because up where I grew up, people didn't even know what that word meant, let alone what, what the diagnosis was. So I was doing that for years and years and years. And then I found myself in a position where I needed to learn how to get over stage fright because sooner or later, the bow's going to break and I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to face this head on with society, not with myself so much. I already knew who I was, but I was going to have to face this head on and I was going to have to get over stage fright in my own way. Because after you go through puberty the first time, everything changes. Like if you're assigned male at birth, it's hell. It's, it, you know, everything permanently changes your, your bone structure, you know, you get hair in weird places, you know, like on your face, you have hair on your chest everywhere. It's just gross. And, and um, I'm sorry, it really was. No, I love that you just said that. (laughs) And then, and then your voice gets really deep, right? My voice I was a voiceover artist. I used to do concert promotions. So if any of you have ever heard concert promotions for like, you know, music artists going to an arena someplace or monster jam or one of those monster truck rallies, and you hear this man's man voice, right? 
that was me. I did a lot of those things for years. I was doing voiceover tracks for that stuff because I had that really deep, crazy deep, you know, um, Darth Vader-esque sort of voice, right? Um, And I was, you know, I was getting paid to do it, so it was good, but it was really dysphoric for me. It was sort of like, we're taking the one thing about me that really sounds uber masculine and exploiting it and making a dollar from it, you know? That was the only saving grace about it. And you know, I, I was in into vocal coaching and, and I worked with one of the best vocal coaches in America. His name was Brett Manning. I had an apartment in Nashville and and he works, his clients are like Taylor Swift, right. um, Keith Urban, Haley Williams of Paramore. Wow. Uh, just this, this who's who's list of people that I got to meet and, and interact with and deal with with him. And he was a, such a great he could really, you know, he took Keith Urban, who's an Aussie, right? And he turned him into this, this country boy from Alabama. So wow. you have this guy who has an Aussie accent, who now all of a sudden can sing as if he was born and raised in Alabama. You know, it's right. really amazing what he can do with, with people's voices. So those techniques help me to get this voice. This is my natural voice. I wake up in the morning and here it is. Mm-hmm. That old voice that used to be me which was several octaves lower and so much different than what it is now. Um, that just doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, Even yeah. though my vocal folds are thick and elongated because of that first puberty, you know, they're forever damaged. I had to retrain my muscles mm-hmm. so that this becomes my natural voice. And it took a little while. It was frustrating, but it was easy for me because I have a music background. I understand music theory and, and I understand, you know, the muscles in the throat and the larynx. And so it made it easier for me to do that. Um, is it perfect? No, it's not where I want it to be, but it's me. That's all that counts. It's me, right? And that's such that's, a powerful message, though, for everyone. Me, yeah. And, and, you know, I have transgender friends that are so sad because they still have that quote unquote profiled you know, I hate it when they say this, but they said, I have such a male voice. Right. And I said, you are you. I said, your, your voice doesn't define who you are. Mm-hmm. It might define someone's perception of you because, you know, we've been built into our DNA since, cyber, since you know, saber-toothed tigers have been chasing us through the forest. <laughs> you know, we have this fight or flight response and we profile things immediately a friend or foe am i dinner or is that dinner right so you know we've we've become very aware of what makes things masculine which makes things feminine Mm. um you know who's an enemy you know who's not an enemy and unfortunately and i say that truly because we're in the 21st century it's now become a problem Mm. judging a book by its cover really doesn't explain the marginalized and minority communities that we live within, whether it be the the people of color, you know, um, in any other culture, from Asian to Mexican to, you know, Latina, um, all the way through, through different orientations of gender identity, the different genders of the world, 
you know, and, and I can't tell you how many times I get into, into these silly arguments with people. There's only two genders and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, so sick of hearing that. And I'm like, yeah, all right, listen, <laughs> you know, there's not even two sexes if you want yeah. to get critical about it. Right. right. Yeah. It was Western, Western civilization and the colonialists that, that came to North America that actually changed the whole dynamic that had been around for millennia about the people like, for example, in Thailand called the Kahui, yeah. which means lady boy. Mm-hmm. And then there's the two spirit, of course, right? Which was indigenous people of North America, you know, embraced these people called the two spirit and they were revered in their, in their, in their culture. They were actually revered human beings because they possessed both the male and the female traits. And then, of course, there were shaman, the healers that possessed both male and female or neither, right? Which would lead us to the non-binary sort of um, construct that we're, that a lot of society is just learning about now. We all knew, right? But a lot of people just didn't have any idea. I mean, I went through a, a phase when I was transitioning where I didn't, I was in the middle of two worlds, right? Mm. Here I was going, I'm one of the few people on the planet that gets to go through puberty twice. So there's the, the hell of puberty the first time. Yeah. And then you got to go through <laughs> that whole shit other thing. all over again, you know? So here you are, you're an older person, and but your brain, when you go through puberty, you mm. feel like a 13 year old again. It's yeah. weird. Wow. It's, tri- it's trippy. You don't need drugs. You just need to go through <laughs> puberty again. It's, it's so like, weird. oh, great these feelings <laughs> yeah yeah you you become a crazy bitch and all sorts <laughs> of crazy things happen and but a lot of wonderful things happened right i started yeah. developing the way i was supposed to right was it perfect no because obviously when you go through puberty the first time mm. you know a lot of things change and in the second puberty works no question about it right, but right. there's some things that don't get exactly perfect so those of us that are you know, transgender females like myself. Mm-hmm. So I'm a transgender woman. I had to go through a lot of very painful procedures right. to, to, to be able to present myself to a society that just doesn't have a damn clue. Yeah. Um, and to be the person that I identified with my whole life. Right. And, and that means electrolysis and laser treatments on, on your body and your face, which is you know, electrolysis on your face is probably the most painful thing anyone can go through. And I dare anyone listening to just go and have one hair plucked off your face. Nope, just I've one. Nope, never again. Just <laughs> once, just do one hair. That's So any of you guys that are questioning anything, go to an electrologist and say, listen, I'm here to have one hair removed. That's all. I mean, you have thousands, you're never going to miss it. Go ahead and see how that feels. And then once you stop screaming and, and you, you stop running about 10 miles later, then call me up and we'll have a conversation. You'll understand <laughs> that I have to sit there for two hours and have that happen every two seconds, Yeah, you know, and do it for a year, mm. a year, twice a week, four hours a week for a year, you yeah. know, having that done. And then of course, there's the other surgeries. There's something called GCS which right, is gender right. confirmation surgery, which used to be called, you know, um, sexual reassignment surgery. There's yeah. all sorts of names for it. Yeah. I had that done two days after my birthday this year, this past year. Oh, congratulations. Um, thank you. And it took me a lifetime to get there, but it's so wonderful. And, and to, to be able to have your anatomy line align to who you really are, it really 
doesn't define me. No. And I want to make that a strong point because being transgender is not about our genitalia. No. It's not about our reproductive system. Um, Do we wish we could have been pregnant? In fact, do we wish we could have had or experienced a period? Most women look at you like you're freaking crazy, right? But I'm left-handed and would have sawed off my left arm to experience a period once in my life. Because when you don't have something you really want, it's sort of like a woman that's born with a malformed uterus that wants to be pregnant and she knows she never can be pregnant. The one thing in her life she desires the most she can't have. Mm. And that's the way it is for us as well. And, um, and, you know, that's such a good point about, you know, really we take a lot of things for granted and, you know, a lot of people talk about gratitude practice and so on. And they're, they're talking about, you know, I'm thankful for my car or actually really simple things like my body functions you know yeah yeah it's so true so true i I never i never ever thought oh i'm so thankful that i had my period i know right (laughs) once happened other than maybe the first time because that's kind of cool because you're like ah, i'm so grown up and oh yeah i mean i remember my sister going through it and i you know you know in in some strange way i was living vicariously through her because i i was like all right maybe there's some off chance that that'll happen to me. You know, I don't know. Cause she, she started young and not that I'm divulging her private life. Sorry, Colleen. Um, But you know, you know, (laughs) girls start their puberty earlier than boys. I mean, that just seems to happen. And, you know, for me, did you see the movie avatar? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you know, it's about this remoteness, right? Where you're, you're asleep and you're controlling this other body, right? So, you know, I felt like I was in the movie Avatar, like I was controlling this remote body. At times in my life, being me was so uncomfortable because I couldn't look in the mirror, right? I went through a, a process of 30 some odd years, never being able to really look in the mirror. That that damn mirror was, and it's in my book, it was a tragic mess. I just could not look at myself in the mirror because the wrong person was staring back at me. And I have, I have this incredible memory um, from me that I wrote in my book, and it goes something like this. It was like realizing you were switched at birth, but instead of being given to the wrong family, you were given to the wrong body. And that's so profoundly true for, for folks like me, you know, it's like we were switched at birth and that's actually the name of chapter one switched at birth. Right. And, you know, it's, it's, it's really an interesting conversation that I have because my book is very conversational. The the reviews I've gotten from people both in the, in the entertainment industry and beyond uh, all say the same thing that, that, wow, your writing style feels like I'm speaking with you. We're not like, we're sitting down having tea and we're just, or a glass of wine and we're just talking. And that's sort of the style that I tried to go for. And, and when, when you see your girlfriends blossoming and doing all these things, that really drove home for me, you know, that, you know, here I was switched at birth, but, you know, I love my mom and dad and that was actually accurate, but I was switched into the wrong body for some strange reason and I could not come to terms with that for the longest time and you know here I was androgynous as a little kid 
playing dress up in my sister's room or my mom's room and, you know, trying to see a little glimpse of that little girl that I was. And believe it or not, when you're, when you're seven, eight, nine, 10, 11 years old, you see it because you're androgynous. It's very easy to see that person come alive. You know, I wore my sister's tutu and, and leotards from ballet more than she ever did. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, it just goes to show you when she learned that she was like, Oh, I had no idea it was that rough for you. And I I'm blessed to have a family. You know, my mom was, was beautiful woman that always tried to figure out what was going on with me, but she never, ever treated me poorly because of it. And before she died, she died of Alzheimer's a few years ago, almost to the day. And she's just the most beautiful woman ever that never really had a second thought that there was something going on with me. She figured it out. And 10 years before she died, she had called me into the emergency room where she was. She was going through a bout with, with something called atrial fibrillation. And my dad, of course, went to get some food from the cafeteria. And she goes, Eddie. I said, yeah, mom. (laughs) Come here. Come here, honey. And she's crying and I'm like starting to cry. I'm like, oh my God. She goes, come closer. Listen, I'm going to die tonight. And I'm like, oh, mom, please don't do this. Don't say that. Oh my God. I said, by the way, newsflash, you're not going to die because your AFib is gone. I'm looking at the heart monitor. They gave you medication. It is working brilliantly. You're going to be out of here by tomorrow. So please don't say that. You're not going to die. And I gave her a little hug and a little kiss on her forehead. She goes, shut up. <laughs> she had a great sense of humor like that. She goes, I need to tell you something. I said, okay. All right. All right. I'm listening. She goes, is it still an issue? And I'm like, what? What? Now, now mind you, I didn't tell your audience. I was married three times right. to three different women. Okay. I also didn't tell your audience that I have four beautiful boys. Uh, congratulations. Right. Thank you. I always wanted kids. I love my kids. My kids are my saving grace in my life. To end up having children, as any of my ex-wives would tell you, was a brutal process because all of my ex-wives, all my wives before I got married knew that I was transgender. Mm. I didn't make it a secret. That's one thing I would not do. I'd, I'm not going to go into a relationship dis, with this disingenuous, I'm trying to find the right word, disingenuously. And they knew that I, I had this thing, gender dysphoria. And, and, you know, I was, I always knew that I was a girl, but, you know, here I am. And there was this attraction they had for me and, and this love that, that they found. And, you know, they married me anyway, and we had children. And that was hard for me because I had to be in my head. You know, going back and telling them this later on was an, was a, not even a difficult conversation because they got it. They understood. Right. They, were, they were not offended that I had to get inside my head and pretend I was the one on the receiving end. Mm-hmm. I was the one that was going to get pregnant. You know, you know, those are the weird things that have had to go through my head because I was assimilating. So society actually created the mental delusion in my head, right? Not me. Society did it. Separation. Right. And so I was forced into this unnatural thing. I'm left-handed. Right. And of course we know in the fifties being left-handed was a sin. 
the yeah, Catholic Church true. thought it was a sin. And you're less intelligent because we all know that intelligent people are born right-handed. And of course, the church's aspect was Jesus sits on the right-hand side of God. So left-handed people, no, we're going to tie your left hand behind your back and force you to write right-handed. Very unnatural. Yeah. My whole life was spent that way. And I would always have a smile. People were painfully unaware that I was going through any of this, but my whole life was spent completely unnatural. So I go through all of this stuff and I'm so blessed because my mom says, did, you know, is it still a problem? And I said, oh, mom, I don't want to talk about this. This is about you tonight. Just get better. She says, shut up and tell me. <laughs> she, she was so funny like that. I love her sense of humor. And so I said, yes, it's still a problem. It doesn't go away, mom. It's actually worse. She goes, you need to stop it right now. You've been getting married and divorced and married and divorced. You're expecting a different result. You know what we call that? I said, yeah, crazy. And she goes, yes. <laughs> I said, I'm crazy, mom. She goes, you have to stop. You're ruining your life. Just be you. Promise me you'll just be you because I'm, I'm not going to make it, honey. And she would start crying. And, and I was, I'm, I'm actually doing her all too well. Wow, it's scary. I'm channeling you, mom. And so, so she, she says this stuff to me and it's just so beautiful. And we're having this little cry together where she said, you know, no matter what you need to, she's basically saying transition girl, get it over with, you know? And my dad walks in the room and he's, I didn't really understand if he knew or not. Right. I had always assumed mom had to have told him some conversations, you know, and cause it was just too much of my childhood, you know, dealing with this mom never really talked to dad about it. It was interesting. I ended up coming out to my dad when, when I was already transitioning, you know, full time. And he was, I I get that. Why they didn't, why your mom didn't share it. Yeah. Men were different back then. They were, they were a man's man and a man's role is not, it's non-emotional. I'm the breadwinner. I mean, I know that's stereotypical and sort of puts Mm -hmm. him in a box, but but you know what else? I feel like, I feel like there's a, there's a respect for it. Um, that is about, this is your story. It's not Mm. my story to tell. Yeah. 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 And you know what? My dad was beautiful with it. And it, it, I was expecting the worst my whole life. Like Mm. I am not coming out. I am not transitioning until both my parents are dead. I am never going to be able to face my friends with this because they're all going to tease me and beat me up like I did. You know, a lot of people say, oh, you were never beat up in high school. What are you talking about? They're so painfully oblivious to what really happened to me over and over and over and over again. And it wasn't because they knew I was transgender because that wasn't a word yet. They Mm. just knew I wasn't a typical little boy. Yeah. I was different. I was smaller. I was more, I wasn't the boy's boy, right? Thus we get back to the hammer story where I couldn't even hold the hammer, right? I was the gopher. Go find us some wood, you know, know, but you're not allowed to build the fort with us. Um, So, you know, here I was with my dad and coming out to everybody and my children Oh my God, I have to come out to my children, right? I've had all these kids wow, and they're all different ages, by the way. Yeah. You know, I spent my life, you know, doing the same thing over and over, expecting a different result, but I'm so happy I did it. I would never change a thing. Even though I had to transition later in life, mm-hmm. I would never give back my children because they're the one thing that I love the most and found out with a spiritual awakening 
they are what life is all about. It's about them. I did some really cool stuff in my life, you know, in, in the entertainment business and in, in my life. And I've learned a lot of things and I've grown to be empathetic because of who I am. But you know what? My kids are where it's at. I have a 26-year-old, a 16-year-old, a 15-year-old, and a six-year-old. Oh, my goodness. Oh, so <laughs> my love, funky. I love him so much. And, you know, the thing is, is that, you know, your children just, you, you adore them no matter who, you know, how old they are. And you're scared to death as a transgender person to come out to any of them because you're, you, from the moment they're born, all you're thinking about is, how in the hell am I going to tell my kids mm. who I really am? And what's it going to do? Are, am I going to, because I'm already divorced, right? Am I going to like never see them again? Because so many people in our community, yeah, you know, we lose our families, we lose our friends, we lose our children, everything. It's just such a, a disaster, right? Because people don't want to understand. They think it's some sort of weird midlife crisis or something. And it's, yeah. it's not. They don't realize that this has been a lifelong thing um hidden from them well we came out to my kids you know my kids are in new york i'm in florida you know well except for the six-year-old who's who's with me right but um my other two three kids are up in new york well one of them's an adult now but my other two kids let's say they came down i would visit them every four weeks and then they would come down for summertime and then they would come down for winter break. So we really had a great close family relationship, you know, where I would s- spend almost equal time with them at, at points because I would fly up to New York every four weeks right. and spend an entire week with them. And so here we are, on, you know, they flew down to Florida. We're sitting in my living room. We put their mom on Skype on the big screen. And I said, we're going to have a conversation about a few things, boys. And, and I want you to sit down on the couch and let's do this. And we started the reveal, me and her started the reveal. And immediately my, at the time he was 11, Tyler says to me, so dad, let me get this straight. You want to change into a girl? And at that moment, Christine says, do you mind if I field this question? And I'm like, Inside of my head, I'm going, oh my God, for the past 11 years, I've been fixated on exactly what I'm going to say to this child when he asked me this exact question. Yeah. (laughs) And she wants to say it. And I don't even know what she's going to say, right? Is she going to get this all wrong? Does she really understand what's going on? I mean, she knew who I was, but I said, sure, go ahead. Sort of like that time in New York with Ann Ruckard, right? You know, right, right. the VP of the Grammys that I didn't know who she was. I didn't really know that Christine was so eloquent because what she then says is she goes, now what you need to understand is that I've known about daddy for 22 years now. That's 11 years before you were even born. I knew all about her. Now she already used the right pronoun there, her to my son. And what you need to know, Tyler, is that she doesn't want to change into a, into a girl. She already is a girl. She just has some boy parts. Right. And I was like, oh my God. I started crying like that, just yeah. burst into tears. Yeah. She bursts into tears because she sees me crying. Yeah. So now we're both crying. And now Tyler starts to cry Aww. and he stands up and he runs over to me. I'm sitting in a recliner and he sits himself, all, all five foot seven of them, sits on my lap, hugs me with the biggest hug. 
and says, see the way I'm hugging you right now? I said, yeah. He goes, this is the way I'm going to love you forever and ever and ever. And I'm so proud of you. And, and I'm like, oh, now remember I said I was deaf when I was five. Yeah. I had taught my kids some ASL, some sign language um, back when they were younger. So he leans away from me. If you can imagine him on my lap, he leans away from me and he pulls away and he, he takes this. If you take your fist right now with your thumb on top of your fist, almost like you're giving a thumbs up, like, like take your hand and then put it next to your ear and then rub down towards your chin once that mean that right there. Right. So that means girl. Right. right, So before he did that, he took his thumb and put it like in the dimple of your chin. So take your fingers up. Like you're, you're making a Turkey, put your fingers up in the air, but straight up in the air. You put your, so your fingers should be facing outward towards me, you know, take your thumb and take your fingers out and then take your fingers and wrap them um, counterclockwise around your face. Now, now turn your fingers. (laughs) I know it's so weird, right? I'm trying to do this over, over zoom. It's so hard, but you basically take your fingers and put that your fingers near your face. Like you're going to grab your face right now. So instead of the position where they're faced outwardly, you now change the orientation of your fingers like you're about to grab your nose. Oh, Go ahead and act, yeah. And now you swing your fingers across your face. You sweep sweep them across your face, leaving your thumb where it is. And that means pretty. So he goes, pretty girl. That was the first words he said to me after I came out to him was pretty girl. And I'm like, oh my God. So we're all bawling. His brother comes over and Matthew sits on my lap and he does the same exact thing. And I, I just at that moment said, God, thank you. I am so blessed that not only do I have exes that totally get me, but I have children that totally get me. And, you know, my 26 year old, beautiful, my 15 and, and 16 year olds now who are much younger back then, they understood but then, you know, I had a three-year-old at the time. What do you do with a three-year-old, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. People ask me that all the time. It's like a major point of discussion. Mm. And I tell them this story. I said, we were in a public supermarket and we were trying to get eggs. And there's like six or eight people waiting to get eggs. So you're sort of standing there with your shopping cart and he's sitting in the shopping cart facing me. He looks straight up at me. And I was already transitioned at that point. And he looks at me, he goes, daddy. I said, yeah are you a boy or a girl? I said, well, honey, what do you think? Instead of telling him, I said, what do you think? And he says, I think you're a girl, but you're a daddy. So you're a boy too. So a boy girl. I said, I'm happy to roll with that. If that's what you want to do, you want to call me that that's fine. Okay. And then he hugs my arm. And people are watching this, by the way. And I'm, I'm not mortified at all. Cause I already, you know, I'm not, I don't have stage fright. Right. So, so um, they're looking at me like I have four heads, but you know, at the same time, they see him grab my arm and hug my arm and says, I love you so much, daddy. Yeah. And now all those people in that supermarket um, are, they're emotionally invested in this moment with this three-year-old child. Like I didn't say I'm a woman. Don't say man. Don't do, I didn't do any of that. I just let him observe and let him figure it out for himself. Yeah. And I tell my kids, listen, 
You don't need to call me mommy. I didn't earn that. Your mom's birthed you. Do I wish I birthed you? Absolutely. <laughs> oh my God, I can't even tell you. But I'm your dad and I'll always be your dad. I just happen to be a dad that's a girl. And there's plenty of people in this world. I teach them about diversity from gay, lesbian, queer, bisexual, you name it. And I try to teach them all about diversity that some households have, to have they have two daddies or they have two mommies or you know, a mixture or combination on these roles. And, you know, we have to get away from this whole idea that there's just this Uber man and Uber woman. And, yeah. and, and, you know, cause man and woman, you know, the DNA only takes care of a little piece of it, even though that's their biggest argument. Well, you're X, Y. So you're, you know, you're a guy. And when you die and they, and they excise your bones, it's going to show that you were a guy. So I don't know what you're trying to do. I'm like, it's not going to matter worth a shit after I die. Yeah. You idiot. Yeah. <laughs> right now I'm living, right. You right. know, if they, if they come back to me in 300 years and say, yeah, DNA is male. So this was a male. I don't really care. I'm, I'm moved on to wherever it is I'm supposed to go, you yeah. know? Um, yeah. So, you know, it's, it's those stories make me feel blessed and make me want to give back because we live in a generation now, especially a post Trump. Oh, I hate saying that word. We live in a post Trump world where he made it okay for people to say horrible things and do horrible things to people mm -hmm. because you're different. Transgender people are the most marginalized people on the planet um, without a doubt. And people don't understand it. There's a lot of mythology. There's a lot of misinformation out there about who we are. Yeah, and yeah. and it's, it's, it's going to be my goal on my platform. I'm going to be going on a tour for my book, right? So my book came out in October, as you said, it went number two. Um, and I'm just so blessed to have it have that happen. And my tour is going to be focused on dispelling mythology and misinformation around what it is to be transgender and to educate people. Nice. I'm going to be doing hopefully, you know, we're going to reboot this, this university tour where I speak at the University of Southern California and all sorts of places that we're hoping to, to reconvene. And I'm going to focus on transgender youth. Yeah. I don't want any more people going through what I went through no. because the reason we have the stigmas that we have is because of the DNA that we have yeah. where we profile people. Yeah. If, if I'm walking down the street of Manhattan and I'm walking down fifth Avenue on the left side and a woman is walking up 180 feet away from me within four milliseconds, I know whether she's a male or a female. That's just something our brain does, right? It doesn't, our brain kind of makes that binary thing, which is why people get confused, right? Because we know that there's more than the binary. The binary is actually kind of fictitious if you want to really wrap your head around it. Yeah, yeah. But the brain, for some reason, puts people into little boxes. Yeah. And we need to sort of start training ourselves away from that stereotype of, you know, gender roles, like, little girls need to play with dolls and little boys need to play with trucks and boys should like the color blue and girls should like the color pink. There's somebody very, let's just say I'm connected to somebody in my life who thinks that their child, their young child, we'll just say, needs to like the color blue. They're not allowed to like the color purple because that's a girl color. They're not allowed to like the color pink because that's a girl color. Mm. 
You know, you have to have very recent, right? Those yeah. those references are very recent, right? Yeah, because it used to be that pink was a male color. I right. I mean, it's just so yeah. bizarre. I mean, you know, I I don't know. You know, humans work at a very slow pace, right? We're a bunch of snails when it comes to this stuff, and yeah. and when you're a snail, you know, you don't learn things for hundreds, if not thousands, of years. It took us over. 2500 years to figure out leprosy was not the hand of god yeah. punishing you for sinning against him right that it's just in 1873 this norwegian scientist figured out it's a myobacterial infection right but it still took us 60 years after that to figure out that <laughs> oh it's not really a sin yeah that doctor was right yeah yeah but you yeah. have this entire uh, well hopefully this entire tour coming out very soon you have your own podcast coming out the journey unscripted you have the book which is already out and available on what's amazon literally everywhere you can find it right um yeah, yeah. and uh you have so much coming up where can people find you where where in the meantime while we're still on lockdown <laughs> it's april right your podcast oh yeah yeah, I'm I'm super excited about my podcast. It's called The Journey Unscripted and it's about ordinary people doing extraordinary things. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. The getting where where they didn't plan on it. They didn't plan on being where they were or doing yeah. what they were doing, but they found themselves in an extraordinary situation and they either became a hero or they, you know, something happened where they might have even changed the fabric of society by what they did like look yeah. at rosa parks for example right sure, just a, sure. a, a regular woman that d- decided one day not to get off the bus yeah, yeah. i'm not going to let that white person sit down just so i have to stand up no i refuse yeah. you know ordinary person she did something extraordinary that changed the world and i'm going to have guests on my show that that really exemplify that and to bring a positive message to the world that you know, um, it's the ordinary people that actually do make the difference. You don't need to be a celebrity to, to make a difference. Um, Absolutely. You just need to be yourself, be yourself. Um, so to, to get my book, amazon.com is probably the easiest. Everybody seems to shop there. Um, that's where it went number two <laughs> and it's available everywhere though. Uh, yeah. in the UK, I, I'm sure you have plenty of bookstores, Absolutely. but yeah, we have, also a, have Amazon. Yeah. Amazon.com co.uk yeah yeah i've been finding out that's getting very popular out there with my book tooth so thank you all out there in the uk for for purchasing the book and my website if you want more information on me is amberrosewashington.com and uh it's been a pleasure to talk to you guys today it has really been have. such a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much for speaking I mean, with us today. Yeah, it is such an honor. And I, I mean, I, I, Ryan and I are just sitting there absolutely glued. And I know, I know. Oh, you just, thank you for sharing mm. so many parts of your story. And I know that there's so many more, but it's just, we're just so honored for what you what you have shared and for what people can reach out and, and find out more and join your podcast and and read your book and you know and, and advocate in in the ways that that we all need to. Oh, thank you. And I, you know, I gotta tell you, what you guys are doing on this podcast is actually you're my people because I I've listened to several of your podcasts and I just love what you guys are doing and how you're doing it, right? 
Thank you guys you. have an interesting podcast and and I think uh, I think I need to not leave this without wishing you the most of success with it because it's absolutely wonderful what you're doing. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Thanks thank you so much. That's oh. a very high compliment. Thank you. Yeah, you're and welcome. We, and you need to let us know when your podcast launches so yeah. we can get involved. Oh yeah, I, I'll be I'll be um, on all the social media. And, yes. And throwing it out there once it goes live. And I think our first trailer or teaser for it comes out in a week. Way! Oh my God, tell us immediately when it comes out. Sure. We want to know. Sure. We want to yeah, know. It, yeah, we want to hit the road running with yeah. this. And yeah. um, it's, you, you guys know, it's hard. Um, right. But, you know, we live in this pandemic world where we're all sort of stuck, you know, and um, so maybe more people are listening now than, than they would be yeah. otherwise. That's, know, that's, that's the only benefit, right? Yeah. That's absolutely true. Our online life is, has an opportunity to be productive. Yeah. Because I'm not sure I would have, you know, I don't know if you know this, but two weeks ago, I was picked up by NBC, CBS. Um, oh, yes, we were talking. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All those, right. all those stations around the U.S., they probably would have never picked me up if there wasn't a pandemic. You know, maybe they were running out of stuff to talk about. I don't know. <laughs> but it but was we're just, glad that they did. Yeah, I'm glad that they did because I... I'm not really interested in making a buck off my book because, as you know, if I wanted to make money writing books, I wouldn't have written a memoir. <laughs> right, right. Um, it's more about the message. I want to help people. That's my calling in life, just to to get out there and not allow other people to have to go through the hell that I went through in my life. Absolutely. You know? So, and that's why we love sharing your story. It's just Aww. so so beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. And, and so we uh, have one final thing for uh, to ask you. And we spoke sure. about it in the beginning. <laughs> oh, oh, this part. Okay. I'm yes. ready. I am yes. ready. So this is um so this is our affirmation. We so, like to say this is a as a ritual at the end of every podcast, every recording. It's really important um for us to to remind everyone that it's it's such a um it's such an amazing thing to be able to take up our own voices, spaces, and presence within this world. Um and we would love if uh, if you would like to sign off with us. Um, my name is Ryan. I'm Heather. I'm Amber. And we're reminding you that it is your body, your, body, your world, your, world, your, stage. your stage. Thank you so much for joining us, everybody. Goodbye.